Chapter Twenty Eight of Babu Jabberjee, B.A. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Babu Jabberjee, B.A. by F. Anstey. Chapter Twenty Eight Mangletow versus Jabberjee. Notes taken by Mr. Jabberjee in court during the proceedings. Queen's Bench Court, Number M, ten twenty a.m. The eventful morn of my trial for breach of promise has at length arrived, and I am resolved to jot down on the exterior of my brief such tittles as take place. I have taken my seat in court on one of the benches reserved for long-robed juniors, in my immediate rear being my solicitor, Sidney Smartle, Esquire, who will officiate as my remembrancer and friend in need. In the great hall below, I had the pleasure to encounter Miss Jessamina and that worthy madam, her mamma, being prepared to greet them with effusive kindness, and assure them that I was only a hostile in my professional capacity. Whether they were struck with awe by the unaccustomed majesty of my appearance, in brand new wig, bands, etc., in which I am fresh as a daisy, and fine as a carrot fresh scraped, or whether they simply did not recognize me in the disguisement of such toggeries, I am not to decide. But they passed by without responding visibly to my salutations. 10.25. A stout, large Q.C., with luxuriant cheek-whiskers, has just entered the row in front. Mr. Smartle whispers to me that this is Wetherington, whom I refused to engage, and who is now in opposition. I have taken the undue liberty to pluck him by the sleeve, and introduce myself in straightforward English style to his honourable notice, acquainting him that his unfortunate client had a very flimsy case, and was not deserving of success, while I myself was a meritorious native neophyte, whose entire fortune was impaled on a stake, and urging him not to show too windy a temper to such a shorn lamb as his petitioner. However, he has declined rather peremptorily to lend me his ears, nor can I induce his learned junior, who is my next neighbor, to show me any fraternal kindness. My said solicitor is highly indignant at my treatment, and warns me in an undertone that I am not to make any further overtures to such stuck-up individuals. 10.30. Honorable Mr. Justice Honeygale enters in highly dignified fashion. He is of a bland, benignant, and intensely clean aspect which uplifts my downfallen heart for it is obvious from his benevolent and smiling bow to myself that he already feels a paternal interest in my achieving the conquest of my spurs. The jury are taking the oath. Whether any of my co-contributors to Punch are among them, I cannot discover, since they do not vouchsafe to encourage me by the freemasonry of even a surreptitious simper. But this is perhaps occasioned by overprudence. The learned junior on my right has risen and in shockingly bald and barren verbiage has stated the issues which are to be tried, and being evidently no heaven-born orator, sits abruptly down, completely graveled for lack of a more copious vocabulary, a poor tongue-tied devil of a chap whom I regard with pity. Witherington, Q.C., is addressing the jury. He is not tongue-tied, but he speaks in a colloquial, commonplace sort of fashion, which does not shed a very brilliant luster upon boasted British advocacy. Though of an unromantic obesity, 
it appears from the excessive eulogies he lavishes upon Jessamina that he is already the tangled fly in the web of her feminine enchantments. What a pity that such a prominent barrister should be so unskilled in seeing through such a millstone as the female heart. He is persisting in making most incorrect and uncomplimentary allusions to my undeserving self, which it is impossible that I am to suffer without rising to repudiate with voluble indignation. However, though he makes bitter complaints of my interruptions, he does me the honour to refer to me as his friend, for which I thank him with a gratified fervour, assuring him that I reciprocate his esteem. Honourable Judge has just tendered me the kindly and golden advice that, unless I sit down and remain hermetically sealed, the case will infallibly continue for ever and anon, and that I am not to advance my interests by disregarding the customary etiquettes of the bar. 11.5. Jessamina is giving her testimony. Indubitably, she has greatly improved in her physical appearance since I was a resident of Porticobello House, and her habiliments are as fashionably ladylike, if not more so, than Miss Wee-Wee's own. Alack! That she should relate her story with so many departures from ordinary veracity. Her pulchritude and well-assumed timidity have captivated even the senile judge, for, after I have risen and vehemently contradicted her in various unimportant details, he has actually barked at me that, unless I wait until it is my turn to cross-examine, he will take some very severe measure with me at the rising of the court. A pretty specimen of judicial impartiality. 1.30 p.m. The court has risen for lunch at the conclusion of a rather severe cross-examination by myself of the fair plaintiff, and, not being oppressed by pangs of hunger, I have leisure to record the result, which, owing to the partisanship of Honorable Bench, the disgracefully complicated state of the laws of evidence, and Miss Jessamina's ingenuity in returning entirely wrong answers to my searching interrogatories, did not attain to the sanguine level of my expectations. For instance, when I asked her whether it was not the fact that I was notoriously deficient in physical courageousness, she made the unexpected reply that she had not observed it, and that I had frequently described to her my daring achievements in sticking wild pigs and shooting man-eating tigers. Also, she entirely refused to admit that the turquoise and gold ring I had given her was not in token of our betrothal, but merely to compensate her for not being invited as well as myself to a certain fashionable dinner-party. And the judge, interrupting in the most unwarrantable manner, said that, as he did not understand that I seriously denied the existence of an engagement to marry, he was unable to perceive the bearings of my query. Again I remind her of her mention of the gift of a china model of poet Shakespeare's birthplace, and required her, on her oath, to answer whether it had not been originally intended for another lady, and whether, having accidentally seated myself upon it, I had not decided to bestow the dejecta membra upon herself instead to which she replied, with artfully simulated emotions, that all she knew was that I had assured her at the time that the said piece of china had been expressly purchased for herself as a souvenir of my ardent affection, and that she had accepted it as such, and carefully restored it with some patent cement. Before this, the judge had asked me how I could expect the plaintiff to know what was passing in the torturous recesses of my own mind, and informed her that she need not answer such a ridiculous question unless she pleased. But she did please, and her answer was received with applause, which, however, 
the bench perceiving though tardily that i was entitled to some protection did declare in angry tones that this was on no account to be permitted next i inquired whether it was not true that she was of a flirtatious disposition and addicted to laugh and talk vivaciously with the gentlemen boarders and whether i had not earnestly remonstrated with her upon such conduct here witherington q c bounded on to his feet and protested that i was not entitled to put this question now since i had not dared to allege in my letters or pleadings that i had breached my promise owing to any misconduct of plaintiff but instead of submitting to such objection jessamina answered in mellifluous accents that she had never manifested more than ordinary civility towards any gentleman boarder but that i had displayed passionate jealousy of them all prior to my engagement though never since because she had never afforded the slightest excuse for remonstrances whereupon she was again flooded with tears which stirred my heart with tender commiseration for her maidenly distress did only increase her charms to infinity and the judge feeling fatherly sympathy for myself observed very kindly that i had got my answer which he hoped might do me much good for which good wish i thanked him gratefully and the court was again dissolved in senseless cachinations next i cross-examined her as to her refusal of my offer to marry on the grounds that i was already the husband of one infant wife and whether it was not the fact she responded that i had referred her to mr chuckerbuddy ram for corroboration of my story and that he had informed her that my said wife was a post-mortem here i cleverly took the legal objection that what mr ram said was not evidence and warned her to be careful while the honourable judge partly upheld my contention remarking that it was evidence that a conversation was held but not of the truth of the facts stated in such conversation thereby showing clearly that he did not credit her story upon the whole i am confident that i have at least silenced the guns of witherington q c for upon the conclusion of my cross-examination he admitted that he had no further questions to ask the plaintiff my solicitor says i shall have to buck myself up if i am to reduce the damages to any reasonable amount and that he had been desirous from the first to brief witherington but this is to croak like a raven for the cross-examining is after all of a very minor importance compared to the gift of the gab in which i am notoriously nulli secundus two fifteen p m the court has returned witherington's junior has called jessamina's mother whom i shall presently have the bounden but rather painful duty to cross-examine sharply already i experience serious sinkings in stomach department sursum corda i must buck it up end of chapter twenty eight recording by todd